Powered by Clear Vision Development Group, this is Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leader's podcast. Each week, we'll provide you with top business insights, fresh perspectives from world-class guests, and the tools you need to lead better than before. And now, here's your host, author and business coach, Tony Richards. Hello, everyone. This is Tony Richards, and welcome to another edition of Better Than Before. Along with producer Bill, we're coming to you live from the Clear Vision Development Group building in Columbia, Missouri. Thanks for downloading this podcast once again. Today, I've got a special guest on the show, Mike Parks, who's the director of the Columbia Regional Airport. He's going to be along to talk to us in a few minutes. And our leadership and business lesson today, four big mistakes when developing talent. In today's business environment, it's one of the primary accountabilities for every manager of a department is to develop the talent that you have. So the biggest leverage that you can have for productivity and excellence and results is by continually improving your talent. And we're going to talk about four big mistakes that managers make when they are trying to develop talent. Also, I want to tell you about the self-esteem workshops coming up on September the 20th here at our Clear Vision Development Building. I'm offering you one full day so you can come in for a full day. We're going to have some tools necessary to empower you to overcome pressure and unfamiliarity of professional and personal circumstances to help you develop the way you feel about yourself, the way you see yourself, and help you develop a better love and care for yourself. And I know that sounds very much on the soft side. It really is a large determining factor for many leaders and executives and entrepreneurs' success because you will proceed and do things and participate in activities based on your comfortability with yourself and how you feel about yourself. One of the things I want to talk about in the self-esteem workshop is to teach you how to resolve baggage that keeps you from being as successful as you want to be. And the first thing I want to tackle in that is why do we call it baggage? I mean, I just got back from a trip to Seattle, Washington last week. I was there with one of our clients. Uh, we had a board meeting and big strategic session. And when I went on the trip, Anne-Marie went with me and we had a couple of bags, right? What's interesting is when we get to the hotel and we open up our baggage, everything in there has a purpose and everything in there is something we need. There was not anything in our baggage that we didn't need. There wasn't anything in there that held us back. There wasn't anything in there that made us feel bad about ourselves. I mean, we're looking through there. There's our clothes that fit. There's our clothes that we like. There's our utensils we use for personal grooming. It's all stuff that's for our benefit. Now, when we say that we're carrying around baggage, though, from a self-esteem standpoint, it's a bunch of stuff that we don't want. <laughs> it's a bunch of stuff that we don't need. It's a bunch of stuff that's not useful. Why do we want to carry bags of stuff that we don't need or is not useful? 
why wouldn't we rather have a baggage full of things that are useful? We were going to dive into that in the self-esteem workshop and teach you how to think about it properly. Think about how to get rid of that stuff that we're hauling around. And for some of us, we've been hauling it around for years and we just need to drop those bags or lose them or not keep the ticket claim stub or something. Would you ever do that on a trip, Bill? Would you take a bag full of things that... No, no. (laughs) I try not. Yeah, yeah, right. So why would we do it psychologically? We shouldn't. That's coming up on September 20th. You can register right now. It's only $125 for the whole day. And that's going to go up to $175 here in a a couple of weeks. So right now you can save $50 if you go and book your seat right now. And it's going to be a small group. So we already have some seats that are have been taken. Some smart people have already gone on the website. They've already booked their seat. So there's a couple of seats left that belong to you. So you need to go and do that right now at clearvisiondevelopment.com. There's a couple of places uh, there on the website where you can see that are pointing to the self-esteem workshop registration and sign up. Just put your credit card in and you'll be set and ready to join us on the 20th for that valuable workshop. I think it's really going to help you. Okay, in the news today, a couple things I want to talk about that are on my mind that are going on out there. So I've been talking about in a lot of workshops and speeches and stuff, uh, as far as technological trends, I like to talk about autonomous cars and self-driving vehicles. Well, now, you know, we have the electronic driver assist system. So you're driving, but the car kind of takes over for you when you're on the interstate or on the highway and you have hands-free driving or whatever. Well, there's a story out today that says that cars and trucks with electronic driver assist systems may not see stopped vehicles and could even steer you into a crash if you're not paying attention. The Insurance Institute for Highway Safety, in a paper that's titled Reality Check, issued the warning after testing five of the systems from Tesla, Mercedes, BMW, and Volvo on a track and public road. And while they could save your life, the systems can fail under many circumstances. If you have driver assist, you need to make sure that you still maintain pretty close control. So you got to make sure not just to completely turn your vehicle over to them because they're not perfected that much yet. Here's something. A new study from Morning Consult finds that for most major companies, there is no upside in discussing the president of the United States. Sarah Fisher, who is a media expert, says that regardless of whether the message is positive or negative, it's far more likely to generate backlash for most companies than draw positive reaction. Brands that stay true to their corporate values and messaging face less reputational risk than those that react directly to being called out by President Trump or on his Twitter. According to the study, only 30% of people will have a more favorable view of the company if it issues a positive statement, and only 32% will have a more favorable impression if it issues a negative statement. Regardless of what a company says about President Trump, an overwhelming majority, 70% of Americans, will disapprove. So when a company comes out and bashes the president, 70% of the population looks badly on that company for bashing the president. Wow. You're better off just to take your stand 
uh, whatever your stand might be, but leave the president out of your comments or whatever. Right. Okay, next story. Women CEOs are in the news because uh, yesterday Indira Nouri, uh, CEO of PepsiCo, announced her uh, retirement and resignation. There is an absence of women at the top of corporate America, says Julie Cresswell of the New York Times. She was one of 11 such women at the helm of the biggest American companies in 2006. Now we're up to only 25 in the S&P 500. In recent months, the list of departing female CEOs has included Denise Morrison at Campbell Soup, Margot Giardias at the toy company Mattel, Sherilyn McCoy at Avon, Irene Rosenfeld at Mondelez, and Meg Whitman at HP. All five of those were replaced by men CEOs, as was Indira, whose successor is Ramon LaGuarta, currently PepsiCo's president. Nori moved toward more nutritious products and limiting environmental impact values she called performance with purpose. So of the 339 CEOs who have held the top job in an S&P 500 company for at least two years, only 16, which equals 5%, were women, according to the Associated Press. Here's a quick list of those. Deborah Cafaro at Ventus, Mary Barra, who I highly admire at GM, General Motors, Phoebe Novakovic at General Dynamics, Lynn Good at Duke Energy, Marilyn Hewson at Lockheed Martin. Marilyn Hewson just won CEO of the year, by the way. I didn't know that. At Lockheed Martin uh, out in Wichita. Jenny Rometty, who is the CEO of IBM, Margaret Keene at Synchrony, Heather Bresch at Milan, Deborah Reed at Sempra Energy, Barbara Rentler at Ross Stores, Dr. Lisa Sue at Advanced Micro Devices, Beth Mooney at KeyCorp, Mary Dillon at Ulta Beauty Supply, Pat Kempling at Alliant Energy, and Susan Story at American Water. Those are your female CEOs in the S&P 500. Hmm. There is a wildfire blazing, the Mendocino Complex Fire. When I was in Seattle this week, I thought, isn't this about the time that the big wildfires happened on the West Coast in California? So I did a little research. The Mendocino Complex Fire is now the largest wildfire in modern California history, scorching more than 283,000 acres and frustrating firefighters as it continues to leap across natural and man-made barriers in Lake County, according to the L.A. Times. The blaze is only 30% contained and is still growing, and it surpassed the Thomas Fire, which burned through more than 281,000 acres in Ventura and Santa Barbara. There are 18 large wildfires burning across California and 559,000 acres, more than 14,000 firefighters, are battling these fires, according to the Associated Press. And our thoughts and prayers, I know it sounds cliche, but I mean it with all my heart. Our thoughts and prayers are with all those landowners, all those residents, all those families that have been displaced, and all those brave firefighters who are working very hard to contain these these wildfires. I'm sure they do not look forward to this time of year. And can you believe that this coming weekend... It will be a year since the Charlottesville, Virginia violence happened. 
in that year, about 75 Confederate memorials have been removed or renamed from public places across the United States, according to a study by the Southern Poverty Law Center. This comes from USA Today, and it says that even though 75 memorials have been renamed or removed, the Law Center list of public Confederate memorials, monuments, place names, symbols, and holidays is 237 entries longer than it was in 2016. So you might ask yourself, we've taken 75 out, but we have 237 more than we did two years ago. That's kind of a math problem, isn't it? Right. Well, the reason is because we've identified more. So there are a lot of them that weren't on the list that we didn't even know about or care about. But since all this stuff happened a year ago, now we want to know where they are and we want to care about them. So we've tracked them down and made a list of them. And while we knocked 75 out, the list grew by 237. That's the crazy stat that I have for you today. Also, it's uh, first of the month. So first of the month, Bill and I talk a little stock investing. We are both dividend investors. So we go for stocks that pay dividends more likely than not. Did you have a stock you brought today, Bill, that you have invested in that is that has done you good? Yes. All right. What do you got? I have Keurig Dr. Pepper. And that's a recent merger. We have a Keurig here at the Clear Vision Development Office. Yes, we do. It's a cup at a time machine. Mm-hmm. What they're looking to do is expand that offering so that more bottled drinks like uh, Starbucks does. So how long ago was it when they merged? A couple of months ago. Yeah, because Dr. Pepper used to be its own company and Keurig used to be their own company, right? Right. And then they merged a little bit ago. Right, right. And um, So when did you first buy into that? It's been seven years ago. Okay, so you've been an investor for a while. Yeah, it's seen pretty good growth. Dr. Pepper Snapple is the original company before it became Keurig Dr. Pepper. What they do is they buy regional brands. And they have brands like A&W Root Beer and 7-Up and Starkist. And they just recently purchased uh, Krispy Kreme Donuts. Oh, wow. And Cinnabon Bakery and Green Mountain Coffee. When they merged, they, they gave a special one-time dividend of about $102 per share. And then you still maintain the shares that you have, and they give you an opportunity, obviously, to to purchase more. And currently, the price is floating around $24 a share. What's the symbol on that? That is KDP. And the reason why I'm, I'm high on this stock is basically the chief executive officer, Robert Gambort, or Gam Gort, he was the chief executive officer for Pinnacle Foods, Duncan Hines, Mrs. Buttersworth. And when he took over, that company was basically on decline. In his, in his first two years, it went up 11%. That's pretty good performance. Yes. And when he decided to leave uh, Pinnacle Foods, the stock dropped 11%. Oh, so you got the uh, Lee Iacocca effect. Yes. He then joined Keurig. And the stock has increased 14% in the two years that he's been there. So he has a really good track record. And so I feel like I'm getting in on the ground floor of something. Yeah. Well, Dr. Pepper was one of the few standalone soft drinks for years. 
Right. I mean, PepsiCo became this big company that owned all these soft drink brands and Coca-Cola with a lot of different brands. I think they both have 60 or 65 brands under their corporate umbrella. And Dr. Pepper was always the one that was just kind of the standalone Mm -hmm. out by itself. And it's a fairly recent uh, public company, too. And that's when I started buying it, when it first became public. Well, the one I brought today is AT&T. AT&T was the second company I bought when I first started investing my own money and managing my own money. Pays a real healthy dividend, 50 cents a share right now. I think it was 37 or 38 cents when I first started investing. It's grown quite a bit. They just bought uh, Time Warner Media, which comes with CNN and Turner Classic Movies and TBS and TNT and all those old Turner companies. Right. And Turner merged with AOL, and so all those assets then come with it as well. They've renamed that division Warner Media. So a bunch of film libraries that Ted Turner had collected and bought a bunch of film libraries when he launched a Turner Classic Movies. So they are just a treasure trove of, of film library classics. And so AT&T is now going to own DirecTV, and now they're going to own uh, Warner Media or Time Warner. They have become much more than a mobile phone type company or a telecommunications company. Now, weren't they having difficulties getting the Mer- merger approved? The merger approved yes, yes, they were, and uh, the judge granted it here about a month ago. So they've gone ahead and merged operations. The merger has now been sent to an appeals court which frustrates me to no end right? because somebody's already decided it was okay and the Justice Department wasn't happy with that, so now they're appealing it, so they're just going to cost us more money. What has that done for the stock price? It's not really affected it all that much. I mean, right now you can buy it for $32. Oh, wow. Um, I think last year's high was around 41 or 42 mm-hmm. It kind of has a trading range between 32 and 42 and it vacillates back and forth. A lot of people think now that this deal is done that it'll break out of that range at some point. So now's a pretty good time to get in. Sounds like But it. it's very safe. You know, it doesn't bounce around a lot. It's almost been in the past like owning a bond. It hasn't really fluctuated that much. And if you're really patient, you can buy some blocks of it. When it's on the lower end of the trading range, you can add to. I've got a pretty sizable position in it. It pays out, you know, a good little income stream. So it's kind of the stability in my portfolio. It just kind of anchors it down and keeps it steady and pays that every quarter just like a money machine. Oh, that's a healthy dividend. Yeah. It is, and it it usually goes up a penny a year, probably 51 cents next year, and you can pretty much count on it Mm -hmm. rising a penny or two on a really good year every now and then. I don't know what Warner Media's integration will do. Maybe it'll increase it some more, but Mm -hmm. it'll definitely increase the stock price, I think. But I've just always been a fan, going all the way back to the Bell Company, uh, where Bell Labs was highly innovative and very creative. And Randall Stevenson is the CEO, and he's the one that's been leading this exponential growth they've been having. And by all accounts, I have a lot of confidence in him as a manager, and mm-hmm. it's a stable deal. That sounds good. I'm going to look into it. All right. So coming up next, uh, Mike Parks is going to join me. We're going to talk about the Columbia Regional Airport. I'll have that for you next on Better Than Before. Receive weekly coaching tips from Tony Richards, delivered straight to your inbox. 
Whether you're a CEO or an entrepreneur, Tony can help you reach your goals and give you a competitive edge within your industry. Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo covers topics ranging from leadership development to teamwork to company culture and more. Text the word leadership to 38470 to sign up for Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo or sign up online at clearvisiondevelopment.com. Welcome back to today's edition of Better Than Before. I'm Tony Richards, and we've got a special guest with us today. He's one of my uh, graduates from this year's 2018 Leadership Columbia class. He's also the manager at the Columbia Regional Airport, Mike Parks. Welcome. So glad to have you here. I really enjoyed having you in the Leadership Columbia class. What did you enjoy most about that? I think probably just getting to know everybody there. There were a lot of faces that I'd never seen before. It was an opportunity I probably wouldn't have run into a lot of those people uh, other than Leadership Columbia. Yeah, I have run into some of your classmates since then, and I guess there's still segments of them and large groups of them that are still getting together and and talking, and that happens a lot of times. Right, right. There's been a couple lunches so far. Uh, I haven't been able to attend, but uh, I know they've had a couple lunches so far, and the plan is to continue having those for those who can attend at different times and things like that. It's certainly not necessarily a major focus of the program, but it's a nice byproduct of what happens when you get 30 people there and they all start developing relationships and getting close and right and I think planning for future events and things like that you know there's uh, relationships that are developed to accomplish things in the future and in maybe different avenues and things so so I gotta ask you how in the world did you ever get interested in working at an airport I could go into the long story, but I'll give you the short version is. Whichever one you think tells the best. Right. So uh, my background really is was in police and fire. Uh, one of the things that I wanted to do years ago was uh, to get on the fire department. They did a, uh, it was called a church climb, uh, was one of the tests there. And so you had to climb up one side of the ladder, clear to the top. It was standing straight up, step over the top, come back down the other side. Oh, man. And I decided that was too much. I was, I'm not a big heights person anyway. And I decided I wasn't going to take that test. And so uh, I stuck with the law enforcement side of things. With that, I heard about the airport. So uh, one of the jobs at the airport was public safety. So you did aircraft rescue. So I talked to Human Resources years ago, almost 20 years ago, and said, what kind of a test does aircraft rescue have to take for firefighting? And I said, is there the church climb? And there wasn't. And so I thought, okay, so it's the best of both worlds, right? So I could stay in law enforcement and I could also do the firefighting portion of it. So I got to go on both sides of the fence. And and that's actually how I started out at the airport. Yeah. And the airport stays on the ground. So that's right. That's right. If you don't like heights, it's a great place to be because that's correct. All the planes leave, but it stays. So, what are some things people might not realize about people who work at an airport? Does it take uh, different kind of skills, some kind of specialties? So I think it's you have to be pretty well-rounded, and uh, every job obviously throws some curves at you each day. But I think the airport, one of the probably the best parts about the airport is, is that I can truly say that every day I go in, 
I run into challenges that maybe I've never run into before. So it's impossible to get bored. Uh, there truly are things that come up every day. Even being out there almost 18 years now, I still run into things that I'm not familiar with. Oh. And I might have to research. I have to make phone calls and things like that to try to figure them out. Is anything comes to mind that you can talk about? I think ground transportation. So that's actually what's on my mind right now is linking ground transportation along with the airport. So are there any federal uh, regulations and things like that? I know it seems boring, but it is a major, major uh, piece to the puzzle, I guess. And so right now I'm researching how is ground transportation tied to air transportation and are there any type of federal requirements for that? So when I say that, I mean Uber, Lyft, taxi cabs and things like that. That's what I'm currently working on. As of on Friday, I'm waiting for calls back from the FAA. I love uh, flying from the COU. It's the closest that I'll probably ever get to being able to fly private. You get home, you get your bags, and you're at your house in like 10 minutes. It's really awesome. What are some of the things you think you possess that maybe made you the right person to, for this job? I think probably the biggest uh, thing that I can bring to the table is I'm quick to to be able to change directions and make decisions. So I like to make decisions. I like hard decisions. And I'm also confident in the decisions that I make. So when something comes up and someone needs to figure out how to accomplish that goal, I like to be that person to pick the path and lead people down that direction. You like the pressure. I do, yeah. Good. So as the top person at the Columbia Regional Airport, I always like to ask CEOs and executive leaders What are three big things you've got that uh, you want to accomplish before this year is over as far as the airport's concerned? So the year's drawn down fast. Some of the things that we're trying to accomplish is obviously closing down the numbers for the FAA as employment numbers and things like that, determining our passenger facility charges and planning for the next year would be the next, and also determining what our needs are for the next fiscal year. So we're working in budget now. Budgets are, are tight as they are everywhere else. Sure. So working with the budget folks right now and determining what our needs are next year, needs versus wants and things like that. It's like all other departments. But the numbers keep going up, right? I mean, they do. people continue to add their time at the airport, right? You call it employment. Right. Employments are people flying out. Deployments are people flying in to Columbia to visit the area for business. And then those keep rising, right? They do. They keep going up. So, you know, that's one of our challenges is dealing with the uh, capacity, you know, inside of our current terminal. And of course, looking into the future, that's you know, a few years down the road, but those problems, or I don't know if you want to consider them problems, but those challenges are are today. They're not three years from now. We have those challenges now. Sometimes growth brings more challenges than the other alternative, right? I mean, when people just kind of move along at the same pace year after year, they don't encounter the same issues you encounter when you're growing. Right. Status quo isn't really uh, the same, you know, right now is we are growing fast. And you see in the news, we've opened up the second security lane at the airport, things like that to deal with the capacity. And so once again, finding a resolution to any challenge that we have daily, things like that. How do you recruit and hire people to work at the airport? We don't have to recruit and hire very often. I can say that we've got a core group of folks at the airport, being that city employees, people just don't leave. So it's a, it's a long-term commitment. We're really fortunate at the airport, I can say, is that even young people coming in want to stay. There's a lot of things to like at the airport. 
it's easy to keep their interest, I guess, because a lot of problems that you have in employment is, is people getting bored. And mm-hmm. once again, going back to, there's new challenges every day and there's a lot of different hats to wear. I would say that, you know, the main recruitment tool is, is that commitment. We want somebody committed to the airport. We don't want them to be, we don't want them to just care while they're there. We want them to care about it while they're gone as well. We're a small division, I guess you could say. We only have about 15 employees out there. So everybody knows each other's families, uh, how many kids they have, what their kids enjoy, things like that on a personal level. And wow. so I think that's really how we succeed. Yeah, I flew in there on a Saturday back in February or um, March. I can't remember. It was during the winter because we flew in on a Saturday afternoon. It was right before we had some ice that weekend. And your employees were out there in their winter clothes, of course, and they were throwing ice down, trying to make a pathway for us as we got off the plane. And I I always empathize with people in different employment situations. I was thinking, I wonder if they knew what they were applying for when when they came there. I mean, really, in all conditions, right? I mean, those people that work out there on the runway and stuff. Oh, absolutely. Them guys are, uh, guys and ladies are are working 24 hours a day, sometimes really long shifts. And, you know, some of the things that I hear out there of employees is, is that, uh, you know, one employee will say, I'm going to run out here and and put salt down on the sidewalk, even though it's not their job, because I know this other employee is getting tired working together. and, And ultimately that's what it's all about is supporting each other. That's great. So you've got three destinations now. So from Columbia, you can fly to Chicago, Dallas, or Denver. And uh, people can use the airport as arrivals or they can use it as a connection. Do you think it'll be those three for a while or will it be different? Dude, those three are solid. Uh, we have a lot of people flying in and out of all three of those destinations. Uh, we continue talking to the airlines. So we meet, uh, Stacy Button, the economic development director, and I meet with the airlines annually down in Phoenix uh, at an air service conference. We talk to them down there about our current service and any expansion of service in the future. I think that in the future, we will see additional destinations and things like that. Timing, I don't know. Of course, the way the airport's growing, I think it, it's pretty apparent that we have the potential of growing even more. What are uh, some of the things as you grow as a as a leader and as a manager and a director of a enterprise like a, a regional airport? What are the, some of the things you think you need to work on and grow yourself in? I think prioritizing is probably the biggest thing that I have to work on as a professional. I have a lot of different directions every day. And sometimes I'll find myself two or three days into, you know, maybe 20 different directions sitting down thinking, okay, this is the top priority today. And this is what I'm going to do today. And everything else can wait. With our growth right now, that's really what it is. We have a lot of capital projects occurring right now. We have a lot in the future that are being planned, that are being worked on. Mm -hmm. So I think working with all the support folks that we have, we've got a lot of people downtown that that are out there to to support us with public works. Stacy and all the ready folks are there also helping us in their office. So using all those people to our advantage to be able to get through all these projects efficiently, I guess, ultimately at the end of the day is the most important. I was just curious, like in the tower, how many people work in that? So in Columbia, there's only one. I believe there's four in a large tower. The way I understand it is there's actually four settings at the table. 
however in Colombia one person so they they run the ground frequency they run the air frequency they run the ramp they do everything and how many shifts do they have a day so they have two normally they switch out in the afternoon one person comes in so our towers open from seven o'clock in the morning till nine o'clock at night right and then from nine at night till seven in the morning it's just self-announced type aircraft yeah that united flight I think it is that comes in late, I think, right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, and I've been there when one or two flights have been coming in, like private aircraft. And so, I mean, those guys uh, stay busy. And it's not just your particular airport you're monitoring, right? I mean, you're you're monitoring all the air traffic in the whole region. So I think the tower monitors up to, I believe it's 10,000 feet, five-mile radius around the airport. I believe that's their airspace that they take care of over there. So you've told us a little bit about your staff and your team. Is there anything else we should know about those folks that work for you out there? Yeah, I think ultimately the, the staff is just really tight-knit. They're great folks long-term. We've got a lot of experience out there. We've also had some retirements. We've lost a lot of experience. You know, when an employee retires, we recently had our maintenance foreman retire. Ron, when he retired, he left with, I think, 35 years of experience. You can't replace that 35 years of experience. It takes a long time. Some of the things that he knows, historical knowledge and things like that, we've got a great crew that's learning all that and things like that. Just sticking to it and learning all those details. You know, my wife and her team here were very instrumental in developing what is now the brand for COU. She made an interesting observation to me. As they were starting the project four or five years ago, they started studying airports just in general. It's not something you just generally study, right? And she said, you know, what's interesting is that if someone's in a major city and their flight gets canceled, they blame the airline. But if they're in Columbia or a smaller airport and their flight gets canceled, they blame the airport. They do. It's easier on a small airport to contact. Of course, it'd be hard to get a hold of the director of the St. Louis airport or, you know, Dallas, Columbia. It's pretty easy to get a hold of me. You can find my email address really easy and it's easier to contact me than maybe what it is the airline. And I think people also find it is, is that we're there to kind of help them through the process maybe. But uh, you're exactly right. We really do. We take the emails for if there's a delayed flight with a specific airline, we take those emails and maybe try to help the people find a, a resolution through the airline. That's what I consider myself out there when I receive those is kind of that person who can maybe direct them and help them find who they need to talk to or how they need to talk to them. What's your biggest concern on a daily basis? Safety. So ultimately, at the end of the day, we want to be safe. So we want to get people moving through quickly. We want uh, flights going out on time and all that. So I think, you know, especially during the winter time, as much as people want their flights to go out on time and they never, ever want to delay or anything, you mentioned ICE earlier. At the end of the day, as long as I can go home knowing that people were screened properly, runways were treated properly and things like that, that's what's most important to me is I want people to get from point A to point B safely, efficiently, and things like that. So that's really my concern is that, uh, you know what, if, a, if an airplane is five minutes late because, you know, we needed to treat a runway, then I think it's well worth that five minutes for everybody's benefit. And that's what we take as a priority. So what about the future growth? What can you tell us about the future and what's that hold for COU? Sure. So we just opened up our second security screening lane. The passengers are going to continue seeing the efficiency get more effective, I guess you could say, maybe at the airport. Future flights and things like that is really dependent on the airlines. The airlines make those decisions. 
on you know additional destinations. I was talking earlier this morning about the airline has to have the aircraft available, you know, the type of aircraft for that flight. And it's like a big puzzle. You know, all these airplanes have destinations clear across the country back and forth all day long. We just have to fit that additional destination of Columbia in with one of those airplanes throughout the day. Working with network planners with the airlines and things like that, I think we'll uh, I think we'll eventually see. I don't have anything specific to tell anyone, yeah. but we would like to see a low-cost carrier come in. Not that we have one coming in here real soon, but I think that there's definitely an interest, and in, in we've made that public, is is that we've, we've talked to low-cost carriers such as Allegiant and Frontier. There is an interest in Columbia, and I think we just have to figure out the timing and things like that of getting them into Columbia. Well, if there's one thing I would encourage you to do, and I encourage all my clients I work with, is that keep track of your growth and go back and review those milestones every now and then. Because as people, we have a tendency to adjust to whatever is the normal today, and we tend to forget how far the airport has come. I mean, it's come a long way from when I first moved here almost 20 years ago. And you guys are doing a great job. If we were to do that, if we were to go back just six years ago or eight years ago and look at what the airport was accomplishing and look at it today, we'd have a better appreciation for it. In 10 years, our passenger count is up 10 times. I mean, it's tenfold in 10 years. So I remember when we had zero people in a month fly out. We had no airlines. And so, yeah, the accomplishments are unreal, really, at this point, and then just how much growth we've had right now. So you're right. I mean, just looking at those numbers continuing to grow is a lot of fun. Columbia continues to grow, and so does the region around. And Columbia is kind of the hub for the central Missouri region, and we always have people coming in and out. There's a lot of private aircraft that fly in and out of the airport, too, right? Sure. Columbia Jet Center, formerly Central Missouri Aviation, services a lot of general aviation. I mean, people don't realize how many corporate airplanes are flying in and out for local businesses and things like that. And so, yeah, there's a huge demand for that. You know, we got our new runway, which is a great support for that general aviation for crosswind. And somebody famous flies in, it caused a big stir. Like, I know Zuckerberg came in earlier this year, and there's pictures on Facebook, and, you know, everyone gets all excited when those uh, celebrities come in. I think there's more of those come in than people realize. It's just, uh, it's usually pretty quiet. You bet. Well, Mike, listen, I have really enjoyed getting to know you this year, and I have enjoyed having you in the Leadership Columbia class. It's just, it was a great class quality individuals and you really stood out too to me as somebody who was very participative and you know when you're heavily involved in one segment of the community like you are with the airport maybe you don't get to see you know a lot of the things that are going on in our town and I know you probably enjoy doing all that as well I do I learned a lot there were a lot of things I'd never even heard of before Leadership Columbia so it was great so I've got a standard list of closing questions I'm going to shoot these to you in rapid fire succession and just whatever comes to mind you give me the answer All right, best memory that immediately comes to mind growing up on a farm mine too number one hero in your life my dad what did your dad do Right now he's retired. Yeah, what did he yeah. do before? He was a steel worker, a really? welder. Right. Oh, wow. What's the top value you subscribe to? Strong ethics. What's the most important person in your life? I'd go back to my parents. I'll deviate off here for a second. Most important lesson you feel like you learned from them? Being honest. Um, just giving everybody the honest answer, whether it's good or bad, I guess you could say. Man after my own heart. Your favorite thing in the whole world? My kids. How many do you have? Two. Their names? 
Paige and Sydney. Page is 17, Sydney's 11. Your wife's name? Tracy. And don't give her age. <laughs> no, I won't. I... <laughs> Favorite food? Probably spaghetti. Most beautiful place you've been to? Now, you would think a guy who's at the airport all the time goes to some places, right? So... Colorado Springs, Colorado. Yeah. Do you have a place out of the United States you travel to or... No, I've, you know, I've been to Mexico before, but I like to stay within our borders here. And Another thing we have in common. That's right. You know, I, I've got a lot of people in other countries who ask me to come, and I always say, come here, right? We have a lot of beautiful places, right? Yeah, I'll meet you in Atlanta or Chicago or someplace I can fly direct to. How do you want to be remembered? Hardworking. Advice for a younger Mike Parks? Slow down just a little bit. What's your favorite sound in the whole world? Quietness. And the best lesson you've ever learned. I think probably the best lesson is I come back to just being honest and working hard. Well, your folks are very fortunate to have somebody like you leading and directing them in their work life. And I want to congratulate you on everything you've done and all the great growth at the airport. Anything else you'd like to promote or anything else people should know about Columbia Regional Airport? There are a lot of changes that have happened just in the last couple of weeks out there. So I look forward to the passengers who, who were out there during that first hour before maybe and seeing those super long lines come on back out. And next time you fly, I think you're going to see huge improvements in the early morning hours to where things will be moving a whole lot faster. With that, I think that we'll start seeing even new new faces out there that haven't been out before. So we Well, that time you spend in line is not going to equal the time you're going to spend in a car. That's right. To go to St. Louis or Kansas Especially City. when you get home. Yeah. Oh, that's what I love about it. I love, I love it when I get off the plane, get my bags, and I'm home and hardly any time flat. That's, that's the biggest benefit there is when you get home. I mean, you're missing your dog or your kids or your family or, or whatever that is. And, and, but when you fly in and you're, you know, you're 10 minutes from home or 15 minutes from home, that's, that's a huge benefit right there. And the safety factor really is you're not out on I-70 that many miles. So it's, it's a whole lot safer. So if I want to check flights or book a flight, what's the website? flycou.com. Mike Parks, director of the Columbia Regional Airport. Thanks for being on with us today. Yeah, thank you, Tony. Appreciate it. Great. I'll have our leadership and business lesson next on Better Than Before. Are you working twice as hard, but enjoying fewer rewards? Maybe you're highly accomplished, but you just can't seem to break through and make the next big move. Or you run a business that has begun to grow stagnant. It doesn't have to stay that way. Even the best leaders have felt as if their careers were spiraling out of control. But that's when they had to lead and lead big. Tony Richards' new book, The Big Idea, 52 Ways to Be a Better Leader Now, will help launch you forward in leadership. Learn how to take charge and lead yourself, lead others, and lead your company. Purchase online today at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and our website, clearvisiondevelopment.com. Welcome back to Better Than Before. I hope you enjoyed that little talk with Mike Parks. I really enjoyed getting to know him during Leadership Columbia this past year. He's one of the star pupils of the class and doing a lot of great work out there building our regional airport and all our business travelers that uh, listen to the show 
should be thankful for a guy like Mike who is helping us help our whole travel deal. You know, I enjoy it when it only takes me 10 minutes to drive to the airport and it only takes me 10 minutes to get home. Once I pick up my bags and get in the car, it's just like almost like flying privately. So enjoyed Mike being here. I want to thank him for doing that. I want to talk to you about four big mistakes that people make in talent development. You're not really a manager today or you're not really a full service executive if you're not focused on growing your people, if you're not focused on growing your talent. Of course, I'm biased. I'm a coach, business coach and talent coach and CEO coach, and that's primarily what I do. You say all the time, people are your greatest assets. Well, you got to take care of your greatest assets if you want to continue to get production from them and you want to continue to generate great results. And talent is king. You know, companies that recruit, hire, and retain the best talent are usually the big winners. When I look at talent development initiatives and programs with uh, managers today, I've identified four big mistakes that are being made. Let's look at number one on the list, creating a lot of complexity. If setting your goals with your people turns out to be a process that they don't look forward to and it's complicated and they had just as soon have some kind of evasive medical procedure done rather than participate in your (laughs) development process, you've got a problem. If you put so much into it that it's so complicated and complex and you've got 50 goals and 40 standards and all these different ways that they cannot achieve something, what's the point? What's the trade-off of another layer to the process versus impact you're trying to create? Keeping the talent development process as clear and simple as possible so that they understand it, they have very clear priorities and objectives, and you're helping them get there and you're helping them achieve bigger and better success. Too much complexity, too many layers to the process, that's the first big mistake. Big mistake number two in talent development is adding no new value. Managing talent is not going to make your job easier from a development standpoint. The more talented people you have, it's going to make your job easier from a production and results standpoint. But to continue to develop those people and continually raising the bar with them and getting them to play better every single day that they come to the game or to work that's going to make your job a little more difficult. And the better people that you have on your team, the more you're going to be challenged as a manager. Talent results and the review process may help you determine who's the best and who's better and who's pretty good. But then realizing what to do next with the pretty good, what to do next with the better, and how to continue to motivate and continue to raise the bar on the best, you're going to have to put your thinking cap on and put your coaching shoes on because there's a real art to it. Discovering that might be a little bit of a challenge for some managers out there. Just how do I continuously keep these people moving forward and keep developing and growing them and adding new value all the time as their boss and as their manager? That's a monumental challenge. Big mistake number three in developing talent is neglecting the science. 
So I just mentioned there's an art to it. There's also a science to it. There are people who scoff at various talent assessments, but I'm going to tell you, talent will perform as the data suggests. So you can poo-poo the data all you want. You can dismiss it all you want. You can ignore it all you want, but the data does tell the story on your talent. There are better assessments out there. There are some out there that have... They're fun and they're interesting and you get a laugh out of it. It's kind of like playing a party game. That's about as far as the value that those tools deliver. And then, and I'm going to just brag on our particular assessment toolbox here, our assessments do tell the story and they are highly accurate and they are very deep and they're very comprehensive and they have a track record that is next to none as far as success, as far as identifying where the talent is today, what the potential in the talent is for tomorrow. And you might even get some indication of what their past performance may have been like uh, if you have somebody like me that can help you interpret the data correctly. But you cannot neglect the data and the science. Don't even call yourself someone who is a good talent developer if you don't have data and reliable data. Because if you don't understand the data or if you ignore the data, you will constantly manage your talent and develop your talent based on biases and assumptions. I really think if you sat down and you talked to somebody honestly and you said, do you want to trust your uh, working future and your career based on someone's biases and assumptions? I don't think anybody would want to do that. I think they would say, no, count me out. Send me to somebody who has the tools, who has the data, who has the correct information that's going to help develop me and send me off to a better place in my career. So you cannot, in all seriousness, you cannot ignore the science and the data in developing talent today. And for those of you who are flying blind and you want some help, contact me. I'd be more than happy to help you get started with that. Big mistake number four in developing talent is no transparency and no accountability. I mean, it's just a fact of life. Most people don't enjoy having tough conversations with their talent. Feedback about subpar performance is not a discussion that people like to have. Your heartbeat goes up, your pulse starts racing. You know, it's sometimes uncomfortable, but the risk of all that is the price of clarity. The risk of having a tense situation is sometimes the price you have to pay in order to get the point across or make sure that everybody understands where we are in the process. Transparent conversations can help you drive performance. And if you're not willing to be transparent, you're not willing to be honest, and, and that sometimes can be based on that own manager or leader's uh, personal needs. Some leaders and managers have an intense need to be liked. And so sometimes we won't have those direct, honest conversations because that person we fear may not like us anymore or may not approve or we may damage our relationship in some way. You just have to get back to the fact that you're not trying to run a friend zone. You're trying to run an organization. You're trying to run a department. You're trying to run a company. And there are clear lines of bosses and leaders and managers and workers 
And you have to do that in a very transparent way and make sure that those inappropriate lines don't get crossed. You probably aren't surprised by this, but a lot of organizations do not hold their managers accountable for having these kinds of transparent conversations. If you're listening to this podcast and you're a manager, a leader, an executive, an entrepreneur that has people working for you, I want to encourage you and beg with you and plead with you to be honest with your people. Have transparent accountable conversations with them about your expectations, about the expectations of the role that they're playing on your team, what results you expect out of that position, and also give them some help on how to get there. And I've always believed this with all my heart, and I'm going to repeat it again here, that if you have done everything you know to do to help somebody succeed, and then it doesn't work out, you can still sleep well at night. You can still lay your head down on the pillow and feel good about your effort because you did everything you can think of. You tried every technique. You gave them opportunities. You gave them chances. You created an environment where if they were capable of succeeding, they could succeed. And then for whatever reason, It just didn't work out. It just didn't materialize. It just didn't happen. The results weren't there. And you have to make a change or you have to do something. You don't want to have to face yourself in the mirror and know that there are other things you could have tried. Once you exhaust your options, you ought to feel pretty good about yourself at the end of that if it if it ends in a split or if it ends in a in a dismissal or a even a performance improvement plan has helped in some instances with people, rather than it being the last chance before firing, it's actually been a catalyst to turning people around. So let me review these real quick again. Number one, don't create too much complexity with your talent development program. Try to keep it as clear and as simple and limited to just the priorities and just the outcomes that you expect. Number two, Always try to figure out how you can add more new value for every member on your team. So depending on where their performance is, good, better, or best, you're challenged with each individual to make sure you're constantly adding value to them. And to me, people who are highly successful, it's a little difficult to find new ways to add value to them than it is someone who's struggling. So you have to keep challenging yourself to do that. Number three, don't neglect the scientific data. So if you're not using an assessment today, contact me. We'll get you set up or find one that you believe in and that you think can help you and get some science and data involved in your talent development process. And number four, have accountabilities for positions and have transparent conversations about performance and uh, you can avoid these four big mistakes in talent development. Well, that's our program for today. And uh, it's another great episode of Better Than Before. I know I've enjoyed myself and I hope you have enjoyed uh, the things that we talked about today. Special thanks to Mike Parks for stopping by, director of the Columbia Regional Airport. Till I talk to you again, have a great week and I will see you next time on Better Than Before. And remember, everything gets better when you get better. Thank you for listening to Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast powered by Clear Vision Development Group. 
For more resources from Tony, visit clearvisiondevelopment.com. Join us next time for another episode of Better Than Before with Tony Richards. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.